0: If we'll I find something, it just That's the
1: recovery. Um, for those of you who I don't know, let me just tell you my name is Judy and I'm a recovering compulsive overeater. I've been in this program since 1974 and I'm maintaining an 85 pound weight loss. I still go to meetings. And I do have my before pictures up here if you want to see them so you can come look after. When I first came in, anybody who walked up to me, the first thing I said is, how much weight you lose? How much weight you lose? And I didn't want to talk to anyone who hadn't lost 100 pounds because I came here to lose 100 pounds, and uh, I didn't really feel they had any credibility. This was long before the days when more anorexics and vomiters came in, and so there were all all kinds of different body shapes and different relationships with the substance. So... um, what I'm supposed to do here is lead a meditation workshop, so that's what I'll be doing, which means that I'll talk a little bit, and then we'll do a little meditating, and then uh, maybe we'll talk with each other about what that was like. Um, when, I, when I came here, I had no interest in spirituality or meditation. I was uh, very psychologically aware. I was already a very successful therapist. I was an alcoholism counselor. Uh, so I knew a lot about these illnesses, <laughs> uh, but actually, everything that I knew helped me give elaborate explanations for why I was eating. I could stand in front of the fridge and explain to you why I was eating. I think while people are still coming, in, I'll stand up, okay, and then when we go to meditate, I'll sit down. So. Um, Our 11th step is that we sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God, as we understood God. And uh, I was very, very rebellious when I came here, and I I said said to my first sponsor, I said, I like everything except the spiritual part. I just don't like the spiritual part. (laughs) And she said, well, there is no spiritual part. It's 100% a spiritual program. There's no
2: spiritual part. Mm-hmm.
1: So over the years, I've come to find out how much truer that is than I thought at the, t- at the time. When she first said it, I said, okay, we'll let that pass. You know, I'm not going to let that be a stumbling block because I wasn't going to let you drive me out of here. Um, but since that time, I've spent uh, time in Buddhist monasteries and I've lived in India and Burma. Slept on a floor in, an, in, in a monastery in Burma, with the rats running back and forth across <laughs> my head. <laughs> and I said, "Well, if these monks can do it, so can I." <laughs> um, there's a, a Zen patriarch who wrote a very interesting thing uh, that I'll send to you if you want to email me. But uh, one line is. The great way, meaning the way to enlightenment, the great way is not difficult for he who has no preferences. <laughs> but I have preferences. I want to sleep in a bed, and I want these kind of clothes, and I want that house. So, you know, the work in recovery has been about letting go, first, letting go of my primary love object, that food, that great nurturer that I could handle on my own and be in charge, and of course there wouldn't be any consequences, according to me, because I was going to diet tomorrow, you know, mm-hmm. there you go. I mean, we all know those stories. I don't have to, you know, when people spend a lot of time saying what it was like, I think, you know, what was it like? It's all the same. Our, our before stories are all the same, but our recovery stories are always very exciting and quite different, in my opinion. So anyway, um, I do kind of call myself a Jew-boo, uh, I was raised Jewish, but I mostly uh, believe in Buddhist concepts today, which don't believe in a soul or a god, so, you know, for some people that may come via be a stumbling block, but it kind of works for me, and uh, so I'm not trying to teach you anything about Buddhism, or what you should believe, or nothing like that, and that's what's great about this program. So I'm just sharing you some of my experience of what seems to work. Um, now, there's a very uh, also, you know, it's an OA workshop. So, what I must tell you is that I really haven't done much preparation. Uh, because I do workshops and seminars and yada 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 for a living. In mm-hmm. fact, this weekend will probably be the last of my doing that because I really do want to retire. i uh, been very happy. had a wonderful run. Oprah Winfrey show. Yeah, yeah. Great, great. But I, I think something else is in store for me that I'm turning to. Or not. I don't know yet. But this program kind of makes you do that. It's such a weird thing. Like I remember when I first went for my PhD, and I would sit in meetings week after week saying, I can't go for a PhD, PhD. But that's castrated to men. You know, this was 1975, you know. I said, I will never find another man. And um, and all the people in the room said, be all you can be. Go for it. You know, let it happen. Let it happen to you instead of... So anyway, I don't want to get into, like, talking about my story. That's not what I'm supposed to do here. But I'm just telling you that... Um, Because it's OA, we do it for fun and for free, and we trust whatever's going to come out of our mouth. So that's the deal. I have a few little things that I might talk about as you're meditating. might give you some food for thought. But a big issue for me in this program has been about uniting the animal and the spiritual. Uh, there's a uh, famous Rabbi Twersky. Some of you may have read his stuff. He's written a lot in the 12-step field. He's a rabbi. He was a treatment center in Pittsburgh. And he's written a lot about the 12 steps in spirituality. And uh, one of his books was called Let Us Make Man. And in that book, he talked about that human beings are in the center place between heaven and earth and between spirit and animal. And we're the ones who undergo change. Whereas the others who are on other planes, they don't go through change. Like angels are always angels. They're always in the spiritual realm floating around heaven all day. And cows are always cows. <laughs> They're grounded on the earth. They are animal. They chew their cud. They have a little sex. And they die. Okay, And they stayed in the animal realm. But we are given this wonderful opportunity to travel back and forth. And, and I've seen myself and other people struggle with wanting to be spiritual. Like a lot of anorexics just want to be spiritual, disown the body. And then others of us who are just Or, <laughs> you know, I've traveled those lands myself. You know, the world, you know ground you know, me, ground me don't let it touch me, you know. But this program opens us up to traversing back and forth, disowning neither side. They're both of great value. you will hear more about that at our sex workshop tomorrow, I think. But, uh, so that's why uh, it's important take out that quiet time to listen to what the Spirit wants to tell us. When I, uh, you know, at one of my earliest meetings, I went to the back literature table and I said,
3: God, God,
1: can't they shut up about God? And uh, see how I'm talking? That's how I used to talk, really. I mean, I was always battling everything. Every minute was an argument. And uh, it feels funny today. I don't quite who I am, really, most of the time. Anyway, uh, this woman named Jocelyn said, well, maybe it'll help you what the the Quakers say. The Quakers say God is the still, small voice within. So I said, well, that sounds okay. And maybe what we're supposed to do is just quiet down to listen to that voice. So I try to use uh, this kind of activity like before meals, very often, even in the middle of a meal, I find myself getting into that shoveling, just stop for a minute, take it brand new again, open up, uniting the animal, the eater or the sex person, that's the animal, with something else going on. There's more going on. I think I'll just tell that little story and then we'll get into some meditating. But my second spiritual experience in this program taught me that lesson. And what happened was I was uh, to speak before a group of doctors to try to sell them on this new program I was developing. And I was scared to death. I didn't have my doctorate yet. And I was, I was a marriage and family counselor, but I didn't have hospital credentials really. And, um, uh, so I really prepared, you know, I just trusted my brain, my total brain, my great brain. And I, I had slides, we didn't have PowerPoint at that time, so I had slides and I had flip charts. And I had my three by five cards and my card said, flip the chart. And then I knew I would flip the chart. I had it down to a gnat's whisker. I was so controlled about this thing. And it was a luncheon speech. So at eleven thirty I said, well I'll just look over my note cards and then I'll uh, I'll be ready and I'll go do it. And I looked at these cards and I could not understand one line of my notes. I said, "What card? I didn't understand anything that was down there and I was petrified. So what did I do? I was a good program person. What did I do? I called my sponsor. <laughs> I called my sponsor. I said, I can't do this. You know, it's. I it. She said, Well, why don't you find a little quiet place and pray? And pray to be a channel of his peace and let it come through you. I said, What? I said, that is fine for those meetings, but this is medicine. <laughs> <laughs> so she said what every OA person says to us is, well, that's what I would do. See? They don't give you big theories and explain your process. They say, if you like what I have, I do what I do. This is what I would do. See? Totally different deal. So I did that. I prayed. I uh, asked to be channeled. channel by peace, yada, yada. And uh, I got up there, and I gave that what I felt was the most boring, disgusting talk ever in my life. I stood up there, and I said, and I gave that was my experience of it. In my mind, I was standing behind, saying, "Kick it in, kick it in." You know, I had all my New York huckster ready. I had jokes. I was going to tell the right point to make the right emphasis to win them over. None of that. Just blah blah blah. So I was very disappointed. And I lived in San Pedro at the time. I was just telling someone that I got recovery in San Pedro. And I went to a meeting that night in Torrance. And I just reeled. And everyone in OA, I said, I knew this was going to happen. You made me into some kind of California server, (laughs) 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 dope-smoking. You took all my New Yorker out of my head. And you just made me blip. Very Well, the next day, uh, the first nursing station, the nurse said, Wow, the doctors love your talk. Can I get training with you? <laughs> and then the next nursing station, they're saying, Wow, we heard about your program. And I, I was petrified. I was out of my mind because the world saw things so much differently than I saw them. And I had to do a lot of work on this. And my sponsor said, You know, You prayed to be a channel and someone knew what that audience needed and they were doctors and they wanted, just like Jack Webb, only the facts, ma'am, only the facts. They didn't want any hype. They didn't want any sales pitch. They didn't want to know how impassioned I was about the thing and I was a fellow sufferer. They didn't want any drama. And that's what I delivered. So I wasn't entertained, was I? But effective, right? So see, my sponsor said, there's more going on than your little brain dreams of. You know? And that helped me then for, for the rest of my recovery is like, I don't know what the hell's going on. I don't know what the audience really wants to hear. It's, not, it's a participatory thing. That we, It's mutual. So we're all doing this together. You call out what you want, and it, there's a bigger energy happening. So, so with that, why don't we sit for a little bit? And um, I'll just give a few basics about meditation. But believe me, I am not an expert in meditation, and every time is different. Just like when you exercise, your body is a different body, shows up every day, and your head shows up different every day, too. Some days you can actually achieve a bit of serenity, probably. Mm-hmm. But many, many days it's monkey mind. Mm-hmm. Swinging from the tree. <laughs> you know, it's just like when people say, you know, want to argue about calling a sponsor. I say, you know, it doesn't matter who you call. And it doesn't matter what you ask. The healing ingredient is that you ask. That's where the healing happens. The action. Well, it's the same in meditating. What happens, the the, the miracle is when you sit down and and invite your inner voice, and I'll give you a few minutes here, talk to me. So that's what we want to do here now. I think we want to sit. And invite, invite your inner voice to talk to you. And you might want to have the intention of, I'd like to set a course for this weekend of what I might be interested in receiving. Put yourself in a receiving mode. A lot of times when I work with people, I ask them to take a cup and put it in their purse and carry that cup around all day. An empty cup so that when they go into their purse for something they're reminded that they want to get filling that they want to be in a receptive mode not giving out but taking in so I'll do some talking I've learned in my traditions where I've studied, but everyone should do what feels best to you. I it's been recommended that you sit with both feet on the ground. Do whatever you want. If you have a usual way, do what's your way. And that you you sit a little slightly forward, like on a tripod, so that you're not slumped against the back of the chair, but just back nice and straight and a little bit forward. And another recommendation is that you hold your hands like this. And the reason for that is we don't want to fall asleep during meditation. We want to be focused and aware but relaxed. So your two thumbs here will be your signal. Like if you just happen to notice that your thumbs have fallen aside, fallen away, you've got a little too relaxed. If your thumbs are mashing each other, then you're you're stressed. You just want to be slightly touching of the thumbs. Also, I keep my eyes open and look down about a 45 degree angle. Head is up straight. And looking down, if you like closing your eyes, close your eyes. For me, I'll tend to wander off more. And one reason I do with eyes open is because I want to carry this out into my world. I want this kind of a focused being to be out in my world, that they're not closed off from one another. So that you can stay looking down, aware of your periphery, but keeping gentle focus. Eyes eyes with soft focus. your instruction after that is follow your breath. Don't push your breath. Follow it. And notice how your body takes in and gives off oxygen without you even thinking about it. about 12 times a minute. There's a lot going on inside your body that you have no awareness about. In fact, all of this life is about developing awareness inside and out. monk was one asked once asked at a New York party, well, tell me about Buddhism. And he said, well, do you want the long version or the short version? She said, well, it's a party. Give me the short version. So he said, well, the short version is pay attention. Well, come on, I need more than that. Give me the long version. So he said, well, the long version is pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. I invite you to pay attention to your breath. And when distracting thoughts come in, blow them out on the out breath. Just kind of say, "Thank you for sharing." I'll deal with that later. internal energy, all of the little electrons and <coughs> neutrons that are vibrating inside your body. <clears throat> See if you can feel them down in your capillaries, the tip of your toes, and the little capillaries in the tip of your fingers your energy. And if you are resting one hand in the other, feel the difference between the held hand and the holder hand. going, how is it going to be used on the planet? of preferences if you have some expectations or ideas about what you're supposed to feel when you're meditating how to do it right how to do it wrong the results of meditation are best felt off the cushion in other words not during the meditation but back out in the world you will see the results when you least expect it.
0: Thank you.
4: and taking it into real life. But I just started stressing out. I couldn't keep my eyes open. So, um, I started getting anxious, so I closed my eyes and that just felt a lot better for me. And that's because I'm so used to that. Yeah. And I guess you know, I guess the peace within me did
1: come in because I kept saying to myself, This is your first workshop. You don't need to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Just take in whatever you can. Mm-hmm. So that was beautiful. Yeah. And if we can lean into all of these things, you know, O.A. asks so many things of us, really. I know that when we first come in, they say, Hi, are you new? Let me give you a hug, you know? And then you won't have to change one single thing. <laughs> <laughs> just just every single thing, you know? <laughs> so, you know, if you look at the whole picture, it's monumental. But, you know, what can I gently take on today? Just like if you do yoga, you know? just You get to your edge, just stretch a little bit, but not don't hurt. Don't make it hurt. So when you started seeing it hurt, you said, well, let me go back to something that's gentler for me. Beyond a wholesome discipline, be gentle with yourself. Yeah. Um, I uh, don't meditate on a daily basis.
4: I, I just don't. But I, I always try to get to a meditation whenever I go to a retreat or a workshop it relaxes me. And the other thing, I always close my eyes. It helps me focus more or turn loose. But I um, I notice that I change my breathing sometimes, too, because normally I breathe with my chest. But when I meditate, I try to breathe using my diaphragm. And it seems like I can take in a lot more air and then push out a lot more. and, And somehow it feels more cleansing to me during that. And it's just something I always do during meditation. It's helpful for
1: me. One of of my yoga teachers, his email is long exhale. Uh, And mm -hmm. yeah, we often try to retrain to make that longer exhale that you're talking about. Um, You know, I noticed that you were saying when I go to things, I do such and such. And I was wondering if you noticed anything specifically different this time than the usual and customary for you. I'm asking this for everybody. You know, what keeps us really alive and vibrant and juicy is making each time the first time. Each bite, like I never had this before, each sexual experience, whoa, virgin. Okay? (laughs) To keep that excitement and wonder so that You know, try. You have to be careful not to talk about I am such and such, and I do such and such, and that whole descriptive model, because it closes, becomes like a story instead of a happening. So, I'm sorry, I don't want to put you on the spot, but was anything different today than the usual? Um,
4: I don't know if it was different, except that. The reason that I do this is because whenever I get, I try to get to a meditation event very early because I know whenever I attend anything I walk in, I'm frazzled, I'm traveling, and I know that the minute I walk into a room that I know there will be some meditation. I can feel uh, an energy come down and I can just feel myself begin to relax, yeah. and then I can get in the moment and be very open. And I feel all my outside
1: stuff just right. disappear. Yeah. And because you've had experience with it, you know that when you get around that energy, that you can drop in to that place. Whereas some of us, and for me, when I first started, I did being in these rooms with meditation and all that, if, you know, I felt expectations of how I am supposed to be and I was pigeon and you know that you're going to go and that's a nice thing. So, and what happens then is you start being attracted to different people in the world. You know, you used to love the chaotic people with the wild stories and the edge of violence. (laughs) Now you feel it and you'd rather be a little more Around these syrupy people <laughs> yeah
5: um, it was really interesting to me um, like meditating with my eyes open that's the first time I ever did that and i um, also keeping the thumbs connected it made me like I, I realized that like I, I tend to really really fidget a lot and like just get you know, anxious easily and distracted and keeping my eyes open kind of like kept me more like in this world Whereas like if I had my eyes closed my, my mind would have wandered even more but I was more aware of it like and able to get connected quicker again like staring at a spot on the chair and like just touching my thumbs and you like wow I'm starting to twiddle my thumbs like you know,
6: mm-hmm. a
5: wrap that was really interesting
3: yeah yes my name is Lorraine I'm a recovering compulsive here. I started meditating about six years ago, just out of desperation, really. I was at the time feeling what I thought was like acute anxiety and just was trying to quiet that down. And it turned out it was a medical problem, but anyway, it got me into the meditating. And be, prior to that, I mean, I've been in OA a long time and I couldn't meditate for five minutes. I just could not still my mind. But I was, like I said, very desperate. And now I've been meditating like for about 30 minutes every every day. And or most days, um, and in the beginning when I started, I learned from uh, two Buddhist individuals in where I live, and uh, they were teaching to close your eyes. And but I came here this workshop needing some uh, more input, I guess. In the beginning, it was easy like to still my mind, and boy, lately it's like my mind is like. Going all over the place, and I never judge myself. They said, "Never judge yourself. The fact that you did it is what you want." You know. So I just am glad that I still have the willingness to do it. But leaving my eyes open really still my mind a lot more, and I didn't not think that was going to happen. I thought it would make it more busy. Yeah. Yeah. So.
6: Interesting. It teaches you to focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I'm Barbara N R Livermore. Hi Barbara. 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 And um. I was a Quaker for 21 years. There just aren't any meetings where I lived. But I, be, I became Quaker through, or it made it, it was a fit because of OA, you know. And but it, this branch I was in was more Christian, so I was really aware in my silent worships about God being out there, at least for me. But I liked your idea about the open eyes because I've been really frustrated with my meditations because. Oh, the meditation's at 5.30 in the morning, eyes closed, are glorious. Then I go about my day like a banshee, and, and, and uh, you know, I'm disconnected. And so, I really like the idea, and I'm really going to work with it, thank you. Thanks. So, you're saying that maybe that you could take the experience
1: throughout your day. Right. Yeah, yeah.
6: Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that for me, to get my program and abstinence to work, I am going to have to meditate throughout the day, mm-hmm. but I won't feel so foolish sitting there with my eyes closed wherever I am. Mm-hmm. I got a massage last week and my massage guy is
1: in the program and I said I'm doing this meditation workshop on Jane, I don't know if she has a <laughs> anyway. Um, and I, I said, you know, and he's like so good with this me- in massage, and I said, your work must really be a meditation for you. He's a blind man, by the way. I said, your work must really be a meditation for you. And he said, my life's a meditation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I've had the experience, you know, if I've been frazzled and I'll be in New York City where I spend some time and sitting on a subway and I'll just take the pose, I'll just do the tripod and the hands and then mm-hmm. I'm there. And the subway's clanging and people are whatever. So... Some days are better than others, you know. But other days, it's nothing worse, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. you can pull over here.
2: Hi, California. Hi, um, I really appreciate uh, that you invited us and gave us permission to push out the negative thoughts. Because I wander and, you know, allow those things <laughs> in and there was distractions. And because of that, I could refocus and pinpoint back to wanting to be... Open-minded, back to wanting to be near my authentic self and be willing to take in rather than to put out, and so it was—it was wonderful. To give permission to get rid of those things. Yeah, you know,
1: mm-hmm. and, and they'll always come it. back. You don't have to worry. <laughs> they always will show up. So it's just saying for now, for now this is my focus, and I'll be with you later. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, um, I
5: liked how you asked us to focus on the, whatever you said, protons and electrons and capillaries. Capillaries. Uh Um, Because uh, from what I've tried and from what I've heard, at least, and I'm sure there's many different theories, but um, the, the mind will always be the mind. And like, I probably won't, you know, get this serene, peaceful cloud as soon as I start meditating. Um, And also, someone said to me the other day, but the guidance to do certain things readjusts my mind and and helps it focus on um, at least one thing rather than 12 things. And actually, I went to a workshop the other day where it was a half hour, but I didn't know how long it was going to be, so that was excruciating for me. I was like, how long must I be? And uh, he, he said, I wonder what you think about this. That it's not physically because we talked about it after it's not supposed to be comfortable like I get hyper aware of like my muscle and my neck and I'm slouching and then I'm straightening up and then I can crack my neck and then it's like sitting in one spot not moving is, uncom- is physically <coughs> uncomfortable well not always I've never found at least for me. I mean, if I'm laying down, that's a different story. But uh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. sitting tends to, like, cause people to fidget and adjust. And, 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 but then when he said, well, don't expect it to
1: be, you yeah. know, your leg like, can fall asleep, yeah. all this. Well, when I, what, in Vipassana meditation, they talk to you a lot about when these distractions and pain come up. Of learning how to lean and breathe into it because it's actually considered just like a negative thought, like the lady was saying, you know. And and they'll go to the point of like, uh, well, there's a fly on my nose. Yeah. Well, you know, notice the legs of the fly, <laughs> but everything but swatted. you know. Yeah. Mm. And it's to show you how much of it is fabricated by your mind versus what's really necessary. Mm. So a lot of times the fidgeting is. Your own need to distract yourself from going home because uh, it's a scary place you haven't been. Um, it's not supposed to hurt, and actually, you know, I didn't find out till I had already been arguing with monks for about ten years, and finally found out that because of what's going on in my body, I should not sit in lotus. I was desperately trying to make myself sit lotus, but I had certain gagging knee problems. You better never sit, Lotus. You know? <laughs> so I sit on that chair. Yeah. Huh. So it's not supposed to hurt. No. But but see, finding that place between is this pain I'm causing myself and I should stop, or am I just being a little nervous, and can I tolerate it and breathe into it and breathe right. it out?
5: The difference between discomfort and pain, like hurtful pain, Yeah, I think I get
1: confused on yeah. that. And there's no right or wrong. It's really your own responsibility to yourself to find out, you know, how honest you want to be with yourself.
6: Yeah. I'm uh, Barbara again. There was one time I was having a lot of anxiety. I was just really anxious. And so I went to sit in meditation and I told myself, I closed my eyes at that time and I said, just do not move my arms or legs. Just do not move them. And I was sitting there and it took 20 minutes. But at 20 minutes, it all, I just felt this peace. I felt so wonderful. And um, anyway, that was one of my best, uh, one of my most helpful. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, so in a way we have that line, don't quit before the miracle. You know, Mm -hmm. so Maybe, you know, if you do it every day, that's fabulous. But keep bringing yourself as many times as you can to creating quiet, meditative moments, and then you'll see over time what develops. I tend to do mine mostly with yoga, uh, mainly because I'm a terribly over-scheduled, crazed workaholic, and I want to maximize my time. So if I'm doing yoga and meditation, and, and also about integrating the body with the consciousness, so I, I do my meditating with my body and yoga. But everyone will find what they like best. But, yeah. I'm Judith, a compulsive eater. I I did. I did.
2: When I did the uh, meditation, it was very interesting. I I'd always meditate with my eyes closed. It just feels. If my eyes are open, I start noticing things, and, and then I get I I leave what I like to think of my spirit. But anyway, first of all, sitting uh, with my phones together in that position um, was very helpful because uh, I felt that I was in touch with myself. And, uh, you know, the two thumbs together. When I was deeply into the meditation, everything wasn't gone. Everything was very distant.
1: your observer kicks in. And you have the little observer on the shoulder. You're totally present. That's why we're meditating with the eyes open. You're totally present, but a soft view. And you're just vibrating with a lot more that's going on. And when you go at it, go frontal. Yeah. Well, um, how about
2: meditating when you're watching something like a crystal or a candle flame? Is, is that something that you think
1: is valuable? Well, yeah, whatever anybody really finds, different people find different things Mm -hmm. of value. So if that works for you, that's fabulous. Yeah. Um, For me, this is so much about the mind-body connection. And I think that we as overeaters are blessed with having an illness where we think our body got away from us, you know, or our body's Mm -hmm. out to get us, and and all of these things we come in with. But recovery for me is about hooking up the spirit and the body. Marion Woodman, who's a very big writer in the eating disorder field, she said that a body without a spirit is a corpse, and a spirit without a body is a ghost. And that we want to try to get them both integrated and uh, to do with uh, you know how we eat, how we make love, how we treat our fellow beings, how we treat ourselves. So uh, Elvis Presley did a song with uh, Buffy Saint Marie did it first, but the song was uh, "Until It's Time for You to Go." You guys know that song, <laughs> anyway. You're not, a, you're not a dream, you're not an angel. Oh, I'm not a dream, I'm a woman. Take my... Oh, never mind. <laughs> <But> anyway. <laughs> and he says, I'm not a king, I'm not a this, I'm a man. And then we say, uh, oh God, I forgot it. Anyway, the last line of it is, and here we'll stay until it's time for us to go. Don't ask why. Don't ask how. Don't ask forever of me just love me, love me now. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you can just get that orientation about that meal, that cupcake, that whatever it is, just to be present without all the rest. So meditation, was, you might be upset I said that word, the C word, but um, <laughs> <laughs> just came
0: out.
1: Um, And then Elvis also, (laughs) I use his stuff a lot, but Elvis sings a a gospel song. There'll be peace in the valley for me, Mm -hmm. and the lion will lie down with the lamb, and the beast from the wild will be led by the child, and I'll be healed from this creature that I am. Mm. And that speaks to my OA experience. I came in here as a creature. And you created peace in the valley so that I didn't have to keep fighting so much. So I hope that all of you have that experience this weekend of letting down the armor, and letting it happen to you. And because I was so smart, and I've worked in treatment centers, and the smarter ones take longer, but because I was so smart, Anything that came in, I wanted to figure it out and categorize it. You know, in the Bible, that was uh, Adam's job was to name the animals. So God made humans so we could go around naming and categorizing and putting them in their boxes and right? So you can read this weekend and open all that up and turn off that mind and that brilliant, brilliant theoretician who knows so much Just kind of let her drool in the book. meditation, sometimes I drool, okay? and I don't even wipe it. And, you know, and, and if you can do that, you'll have a great experience. I, I trust. So um, why don't we sit a little bit more? Okay.